Restaurant Unstoppable episode 510 with Kendra Feather. I really try to say yes to every time someone asks to pick my brain, even though sometimes I really don't have the time because I didn't have that person when I started and I see how people feel when they don't have that person. It's really important to have like a support network and you can't make it happen. You have to go find it. Are you ready for it factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. Introducing Ethics Suite, the first and only misconduct, theft, and fraud reporting platform exclusively for the restaurant industry. Check out restaurantethics.com to see how restaurant employees can report any concerns anonymously, easily, and securely from any device with internet connection. However, if you're an owner or manager, you should check out ethicssuite.com slash restaurantunstoppable for more information on how you can monitor and respond to these reports and stay informed about issues that could affect your business and your reputation. One more time, that's ethicssuite.com slash restaurants unstoppable. <clears throat> and with excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, Kendra Feather. Kendra, are you feeling unstoppable today? Yes. Yes, that is <laughs> what we like to hear. So Kendra Feather got her start in the restaurant industry as a server to supplement her income while running an an underground art gallery. Today, she owns five restaurants in Richmond, Virginia, Ipanema Cafe in 1998, Garnett's Cafe in 2009, the Roosevelt in 2011, and was a founding partner at the WPA Bakery in November of 2012. Garnett's at the Valentine Open in 2017, as well as Laura Lee's. Wow. You got a lot going on, mm-hmm. Kendra. It's impressive. Uh, and I can't wait to share your story. I did a little bit of research and um I loved how slow it, it took you to open these restaurants. Like some people get in and they start opening restaurant, 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 restaurant. Yeah. But you really like 20 years, you've been slowly opening restaurants. Yeah. Uh, so I can't wait to get into that. But before we really dive into who you are, what you're all about and how you got to where you are today, let's get that motivational, inspirational ball rolling with a success quote or mantra. What do you got for us? One of the, I mean, I, I guess I give advice. You know, I would I would say quite a few times a year I meet with people who are like, I'm opening a place and can you, can you meet me for coffee? Can I pick your brain? I always say yes. And one of the things I tell them is just like, but make yourself happy. You know what I mean? Like, mm. like when they try to come up with ideas. Um, and also if there's anything I can impart to people is like, you just have the show must go on. You have to keep moving forward. Like you get so upset when they're like, Oh, you know, your compressor broke and that's going to be $5,000. Well, you put it on a credit card or whatever you need to do, pay for it just and just keep moving forward. Yeah. Figure out how you're going to make $5,000 more. You and know, you, like you, just keep going. Um, just, don't, sorry. No, I just don't want to wallow in it. You know, like just don't wallow and feel sorry for yourself all the time. Like that's one of the things I work on. I is love just it. We were talking going. about Seth Godin during the pre-interview yeah. chat and in, in one of his books, The Dip. And it's all about just pushing forward. And so t- so too many times we we quit just before, you know, uh, things start to take off the, the, the tipping point. Right. Uh, so if you just keep nine times out of 10, it's the, the person that perseveres that the longest that comes out on top. So just have that endurance, keep showing up, stay optimistic. Uh, you also mentioned something else that I found really interesting briefly. Uh, you said open a, something that makes you happier, yeah. you know? Uh, so why is that so important when versus opening a concept? I mean, because every time someone opens a concept and just to sell a narrative to the papers, it just doesn't, it doesn't last. Yeah. You know what I mean? They're going to be bored with it in six months and then 
I mean, there's people that do that all the time. They open restaurants and they're like, the theme is this. Like, you know, like, like we were just talking about. It's weird. Yeah, you need to persist. You need to persevere. And if if you're not opening a concept, but you're opening whatever it is that is a, an extension of who you are, what your interests are, what your passions are, what your values are, and you're showing up to yourself every day, mm-hmm. it makes it that much easier to persist instead yeah. of showing up to a rainforest concept restaurant. That yeah, whatever it might be. <laughs> yeah. I'm also fortunate enough to have places that each one of them is unique. So when I have ideas, I try to figure out where does that idea fit? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like um, whatever it might be. And sometimes I'm able, I'm able to overlap the concepts like Ipanema's vegan vegetarian restaurant. We always have one fish dish. Um, so we do like a meatless Monday here at Larley's. So I'm able to like have my interest intertwined, but some of my interests take a stronger stage at each place. Does that make sense? Yeah, Absolutely. Great stuff. So great way to get this thing started. Mm-hmm. Um, I could, I feel like this is going to be a really great conversation because we're already starting to get to like that back and forth, free flowing yeah. uh, stride. But we got to go back to where it all started for you, which was when you're in your mid twenties, working at an art gallery as a, and then on the side serving. Is that when was that your first restaurant gig, or does it go back further than that? No, no. My first restaurant gig would have been like when I was sixteen at the Quentin House. In Pennsylvania, <laughs> Quentin Haas. Um, that was like a little, you know, the kind of thing where you wore like nurses' smocks and nurses' shoes. Okay. It was like a little family restaurant. And, nice. uh, you know, where I learned such gems as don't let a guy take you go deer spotting, you know, stuff like that. Don't let and a the guy other servers t- there. Don't let a guy take you deer spotting, and, uh, which is deer spotting is what <laughs> yeah, they do in the country. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. And some of those waitresses are still at that restaurant to wow. this day. And that was when I was 16. So that's, oh, God. What is that? 32 years ago. Wow. You know what I mean? Yeah. So are there any big lessons from this time in your life before we kind of move on to uh, your mid twenties when you're working as a server that you want to highlight any people that really stood out during this time, people that you remember today and like really maybe influenced you as, as far as who you are today. I didn't have a lot of, uh, I didn't have a lot of positive mentors okay. necessarily in the restaurant business. Um, but I learned a lot about what not to do okay. um, from some of my bosses. I didn't have a lot of great bosses, but they were, they were fine. Maybe they weren't. Are you thinking more? You, uh, that's what you're asking. No, this is, this is, this is great stuff. That was actually the, the next question I was oh, going to okay. ask you. So if you didn't have any mentors that steered you in the right directions, which ones you know, maybe pointed out some qualities or represented some qualities that you didn't want to, you know? Yeah. I would say I spent some of my formative years later in life. Yeah. I, I spent my formative years being like, very, I'm very headstrong. I was raised by a very strict mom, so I think that was really good because I had to stick up for myself. You had to stand up to her. She's a very strong lady. And so um, coming into the world, like having different bosses or whatever, I wasn't easily swayed by someone else's behavior. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, Wait, so when you're talking about somebody else's behavior, are you talking about another uh, your boss's behavior? Yeah, or like a just a boss behavior? being crappy or making yeah. bad business decisions and telling me this is how you run a business. And I would be like... It's not because someone owns a business that I would take their advice. Yeah. I might be like, hmm, that doesn't really sound like a good idea to me, you know? <laughs> um, so I think over the years, I spent a lot of time kind of not really understanding how Challenge I fit the, in. The, the situation. And you yeah, don't necessarily... Because ex- I didn't have that place. Yeah. Um, and I think social media really changes that in mm. this current environment. It's, it makes everything so much more vibrant. You can kind of find your people a little exactly. better. Exactly. But... Um, and that's a huge point that yeah. like, we can go into real quick. Uh, the fact that 
it's no longer who has the, the most money who delivers the message. It's whoever has the best message that gets the attention. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's a real hopeful time right now where I yeah. think a lot of a lot of good is happening because people are are, are choosing what they allow influence them. Uh, so you know it's hopeful. I think for a lot of you know we went in the, the wrong direction with like big corporations for the longest time and like what it does to communities and uh, livelihood of small business owners and now people are realizing, Hey, I want to go eat someplace because there's a story behind this person and yeah. they, they, they are a person and this is their livelihood. And I'd rather spend a 20% more to like make sure that I'm keeping my money locally and like all this stuff. Yeah. I think the narrative is important. I think what that also is created is people creating false narratives, which is, you know, but unfortunate, also, but it all comes out in the wash. Though, like, it you can smell the, the bullshit now too, because of not everybody can, yeah, um, but well, eventually they will. It might yeah. just take some time, yeah. you know, um, like you said, it all comes out in the wash. It really does. Yeah. That's it. You know, if you're frustrated with someone, you know, sometimes I think, you know, there's a certain amount of schadenfreude that we talk about a lot, like with the restaurant industry, um, where people can be jealous. And part of it is that the media creates this gladiator event where they put you in a pen and make you fight for the crumbs of best restaurant or best chef or they create all these war awards and they so you're kind of up against your friends yeah or possibly who could be your friends if you weren't always pitted against each other and i think it takes um a certain amount of self-examination to get past that i think it's very easy to fall victim to it so i would say the schadenfreude there's a little bit of like you know you hear something bad about another restaurant owner and you're just like yeah (laughs) <laughs> I bet they're a jerk, you know, or whatever, um, or they didn't deserve that, or why didn't I get that? Like, there's all this stuff that gets fed in, and and to be clear, in the '90s when I played music in college, the band people were the same way. Mm. It's so similar. Um, what know, do you mean by that? The same way? What is that way? Really spell it like, out. Um, well, so there was a whole bunch of bands that were all friends. You play shows together, you know, like a little community, just like the dining community, and um, a, an indie label would come to town and sign one of the bands, or um, a well-known uh, band would come to town and you would get the opening mm. slot. That was a big deal. Um, and people would ha- be bitter about why that guy get the opening slot for such and such a band. Um, why did we not get it? Or why did they get signed to a label? Why not us? Um, and it takes friendships and Jealousy it splinters them. Jealousy well, very it's just, like, toxic yeah, emotion. Yeah. Uh, and, and I it, see it in the restaurant business. And, and you I, know... I'm happy you're pointing this out. Yeah. And we like this happens sometimes. I try to stay chronological, but we go down into this rabbit hole, which is no, it's great because it's I good. talk at right angles. I'm it, sorry. I can bring it back. I can go back. <laughs> I'm good at like zooming back up to 30,000 feet again. Yeah. But real quick, and I won't mention names, but I've, I've experienced it here in Richmond. Yeah. Asking around, talking to different restaurant owners and who should I talk to and who's this and who's that. And there, um, the, 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 the group that you are a part of, that like that, that you mingle with, has been identified as like the clicky Richmond restaurant people, and I instantly was like, I won't say who said it, but but what I've noticed talking to you guys, mm-hmm. I've had a lot of you on the show now. You guys are very collaborative. You're very open with sharing knowledge and working together, and you're the complete opposite of that. Like you're willing to. And it's because you're the complete opposite and you're willing to collaborate with mm-hmm. a chef from this restaurant or a mixer or a mixologist from this restaurant or somebody who's really good with business, business nav- savviness like you, you guys, you know who to lean on for strengths and weaknesses. You know who's good at what and you, and you collaborate and you, you bring out the best in each other. And because you're open and willing to work together, you, that's why you are where you are. You are at this quote unquote click from the outside looking in, you know, but really it's more than that. It's, it's partnership, it's collaboration, it's sharing knowledge, it's working together. 
It is, but and and for some people, it's actually genuine friendship. Like yeah. they might hang out and have cookouts together. But for a lot of people, it's just professional relationships. And I think I'll say this: I owned the vegan vegetarian restaurant for eleven years before I opened another restaurant. If I can explain to you how nobody gave a shit, <laughs> yeah. I mean that's you know kind of like oh you own a restaurant what's it called Ipanema never heard of it it's a vegetarian restaurant oh I'm not vegetarian and uh, you're like okay that's fine it's not for you um, I wasn't really known by my other um, counterparts or my peers and um, I used to think that I ate at the lunch table alone you know imagine that you know and I used to think that they were all friends and they all partied together and that's what it seemed from the outside to me years fast forward years later. Um, you know, I'm part of a group of people that owns a restaurant, you know, that's getting all the 20 awards. years later, by the way. Yeah. So this doesn't yeah. happen overnight. No, you but, pay your but dues. I've been able to watch. I think it makes me a little bit grounded because it was 11 years later. I opened my second restaurant. Then maybe people were like, you own two restaurants. Who are you again? Just to be clear, I had to have four businesses before I got even a portion of the recognition that like one a guy would own for owning one restaurant okay. you know what i mean yeah so and i'm not saying that bitter i'm just saying like facts side note the when you really got that recognition you partnered with a man yes <laughs> yes yes and um and he's super talented yeah. so i mean which I, all, he's all on well my deserved. List, by the way we he he's opening a restaurant right yeah. now not with you just to go on to this yeah, point yeah. with somebody else you guys are still partners at the roosevelt mm-hmm. um but he's opening a restaurant right now, so he wasn't able to make time, which I totally understand. But Lee Gregory, look out, man. I'm coming after yeah, you in like he's, six months. You'd, you'd really like him. <laughs> he's, he's really fun to talk nice. to. He's funny. Um, so that being said, I still encounter people now that are just like, that have that idea that there's this click. And I think that they think like, if I pull back the curtain, I'm going to find you guys all sitting around, huddled around a table, like excluding me. And the truth is, it's not like that. And yeah. I know that now I know exactly what it feels like to be them and to feel excluded or feel set adrift. Because when you're new to anything, you don't know anyone, whether yeah. it's your first day of school when you're a kindergartner or whatever, you know, like whatever that feeling is feeling, you imagine everyone knows each other better than they do. And a lot of these restaurant people collaborate, but they don't see each other because you know what? Everyone's working. Yeah. You know, so we did a period of time. We did something called a shindig. I don't know if you saw anything about that but it was um we did like a sunday night once every couple months we'd have everyone we could think to invite and tell them to invite people and we'd all sit around a long table at the roosevelt with a potluck and i mean it was amazing food and then um we just all throw money in a hat and then we donate that money to a cause and uh some representative from that cause would be there to talk about what they do um and then everyone would just hang out and talk because you never get to do that in the restaurant business and a lot, especially the chefs, a lot of them became very close. And I remember one year they all went to like Charleston Food and Wine or something and they rolled deep. Like the Richmond chefs rolled deep. They must have been like eight of them, maybe a couple bartenders and chefs, definitely all guys. Um, but they went and, and I think people were like, what's that? Because a lot of people, you know, in the restaurant business are kind of isolated and they were like, how are they all hanging out together? Why don't we have that at yeah. our, our, and that's, that's the feedback we heard from Charleston Food and Wine from everyone was like, how does Richmond do this? You know, and it, it was definitely, um, Plus it's like, you, it's you on know, birds of the same feather flock together and like yeah. you're relatable. Like you can have conversations cause you're all, you know, in, it's not only natural to gravitate towards each other yeah. in that situation. But it was a decided effort by all those involved and, and the ones that you've met in town. It's a decided effort by those people to be part of a community and to support that community, you know, and to just put aside your, your lower instincts yeah. to be petty or whatever and, and actually be positive. And 
mean, I think that's how it's good to admi- a city admire. grows. Yeah, I think it's good to admire to see people and what they have achieved yeah. and admire and want it. But sure. don't be jealous and don't be resentful that you don't have it. Uh, look at what they did and learn from what they did. And yeah. hey, guess what? Right now, you can go hustle in your business and become a person of value. Uh, get good at something. Realize what lane you belong in, and go find another business that somebody who owns their business who's good at something you're not good at, and then say, hey, let's work on this together. Mm-hmm. Like you can create your own click. Nothing's stopping you from getting out there and collaborating with people and sharing knowledge and like take a lesson from this and go create your own little network of professionals that you guys can lean on and collaborate with. Like what's stopping you? Yeah, no, I agree. Um, So, (laughs) I mean, if there's anything to take from that, right, go out and do the same thing. And I think that's a really other cool thing that we can do too, like to to network. Uh, Anybody right now can like go and do this thing where you invite people to like throw money in a hat and donate to a cause. And that's another way to find out who's good at what. You know, like there's ways you can bring people together and collaborate. So, yeah. All right. I think it's also important to one of the things I'm working on personally is develop your own personal board of directors, I call it. Mm. And that's just assemble people in your life who can give you good advice. I think that if you kind of surround yourself by that kind of situation and you have people you can go to. Like for me, it's um, one of my closest friends owns uh, is a fitness studio owner. Yeah. Like, but we can talk business. Yeah. And, this is business at the end of the you day. You know, and another friend of mine's a really successful restaurateur and really smart business guy, like probably one of the smartest business guys I've met. And, um, you know, I'm able to go to those people and be like, can you meet me for a drink and just like spill the beans yeah. and talk about my stress? And I think that also helps. And I think when you first start in the business, and that's why I really try to say yes to every time someone asks to pick my brain, even though sometimes I really don't have the time because I didn't have that person when I started and I see how people feel when they don't yeah. have that person. Mm. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Like, it's really important to have like a support network. And For sure. It's funny you're you mentioning You can't make this. it happen. You have to go find it. Well, two things uh, that came to my mind as you were talking. First, if you want to cr- create that sounding board, the support system, uh, don't go to people asking for stuff. For find out what what you can provide them and offer them help. Sure. You know, uh, be, like because it has to be. You got to give before you get. Uh, and people aren't going to want to work with you in, unless you there's something in return, yeah. right? I mean, not, not everybody, some people are willing just to help for the sake of helping, but if you can make it a win-win situation, you're, you're better off finding the right people to surround yourself with. And the second thing is you're talking, you're, you're describing a mastermind right now, uh, and which is something that anybody can do. And I hope that uh, I host masterminds with Restaurant Unstoppable where I bring people together where we share challenges and we, we brainstorm mm-hmm. together and we help each other out. But I'm hoping that I encourage more people to start their own masterminds in their city because yeah. why not help each other out? Why not create this? Like I've never even heard that term, so yeah. I'm uh, going to do it. Yeah, check it out. <laughs> I'll talk to you about it afterward. If anybody is listening to this and they want to learn how to start a mastermind, email me, eric at restaurantunstoppable.com. It's super easy to do. Okay. It's a great way to network and to create a support group for each other in your community. Let's bring it back to your story because I feel like there's still so much to cover. <laughs> Five restaurants and um, you overcame so much. So when did you... Let's bring it to when you had this opportunity for Ipanema. Uh, I got it right that time, right? Yeah, you did. Nice. Um, 1998, you were working for a woman who was one of these people you learned a lot about not what about yeah. what not to do. Yeah. Uh, she didn't pay you. You got all of your, or not all of it, but a lot of your equipment as a, uh-huh. in, in place of the checks that they owed you. So yeah. take us to that point, how you worked out that deal. And hmm. Let's see. Um, I was out of college. And I think maybe other people have probably experienced this, but my first year out of college is pretty like depressed because I lost that safety umbrella of what I was going to be and was proving that I wasn't quite anything yet, you know, because, okay. um, you know, when you're when you're getting a degree, people are like, oh, what are you studying? I'm going to be this. I'm yeah. going to you know, I'm going to be a journalist. I'm going to go in PR. 
And then I graduated and couldn't even get a job at like Capital One or any these jobs I didn't really want. Um, so I just kept waiting tables and, um, yeah, she was just, she had just run the place into the ground and she had been not well and she just wasn't coming in. So I was just working there all the time and kind of running it for us. Her longest employee had been there for six years and, um, the IRS was going to shut her down. The landlord was going to kick her out for not paying rent. And so I just went to her and was kind of like, well, before all this happens, do you think, you know, would you give me the equipment in exchange for the money you owe me? And she was like, sure. And then I went to the landlord and this is a funny story. He, uh, just kind of like an old Southern guy that's like, you remind me of my daughter, you know, like, so he was really fond of me yeah. and I asked him if I could have the lease and he said, you have to prove that you have some money, but I didn't. So I took my best friend who's a, a guy named Mark, who's like a sous chef at another restaurant. And because this is the South and it's the old boy network, all Mark had to do was shake hands and say, yeah, I've got $15,000 I'm going to give her. <laughs> and, uh, that's how we're going to open the restaurant. And the guy took him at face value and said, okay. Oh man. They ran my credit. They didn't run Mark's credit because if they had, they'd find out he didn't even have a checking account. <laughs> but he was just a really confident guy yeah. and it was just a handshake between men and that was it and that's how we got it. So So you when you opened, you were there was a period that you were really struggling yeah. early on. So take us through who you were then, what your challenges were, because really what I want to try to do in this, this interview is capture the transformation, who you were then and what you've learned along the way, the big aha moments, the big pivotal points for you where you maybe you learned lessons, you started doing things differently, or maybe you just persevered and over time you built yeah, up yeah. that momentum. No, I definitely persevered. Okay. But you know, there was nobody, there was no Yelp documenting my failures. So. Yeah. <laughs> um, and also Richmond was so much smaller. There wasn't a restaurant in every corner then. There were oh, so yeah. many less places mm -hmm. and we kind of fit, a, I always call Ipanema the island of misfit toys. It's kind of like in a part of town near the college. It was had often been a place where nearby there were places you could go see punk shows and stuff like that. So it also was kind of a counterculture place before the counterculture kind of disappeared, you know, and it still kind of is that. Um, there's really no other place like it in Richmond. It's very unique. Things I did in the beginning was like how I, how I did the menu was like, uh, here's an appetizer. What do you think it should be priced? Mm, I don't know. That looks like $3. I didn't know how to do food costs. Like, <laughs> yeah. We sold uh, crab cake. We always, always had one fish entree on the menu. And um, we sold like crab cakes for dinner. I think they were like $10. But it was $10 just for the crab. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. And of course it sold like hotcakes because it was like the best deal, deal in town. <laughs> yeah. So... Um, Stuff like that. I don't know. I did not do that. I do stuff like um, go to the store, like go to Costco or wherever and get like one container of half and half and like one container of heavy cream and like one block of cheese or whatever we needed. And I bring it to work. And then the next day they'd be like, you need to go to Costco again. And I'd be like, hey, guys, you really need to get it together because I can't be driving to Costco every day. And they were like, why don't you try buying more than one fucking thing at a time? <laughs> and there was one girl said, you're not shopping for your house. You're shopping for a restaurant. Yeah. Like little things I had to learn because I'd only ever been in front of the house. Yeah. And within the first year, they would do stuff like, the, the kitchen kind of ran rampant. They did stuff like pitch in money so they could have their own bottle of Jägermeister. And I was so young, I would just let them do whatever they wanted because I didn't know how to cook. Yeah. And so what could I do if they told me to F off and walk out. How is my restaurant going to run? And so about a year in, I basically had a friend come and give me cooking lessons. And I just started like working lunches and kind of work my way back up. Yeah. And I eventually could line cook there and could create menu items and stuff. Um, and that way I created a situation where nobody could ever, I didn't have to put up their shit. 
because I could do every job in the restaurant. So how did you get to the point? What, what were the, the things that you think you did in that time where you were really struggling to get, to get by until you kind of created this like little, uh, like, you know, tiny thriving business that opened up other opportunities for you? Well, my brother moved here. My older brother moved to town and um, he's got a really clever business mind. And I think he really kind of saw the potential to do more. And then I think I was also just antsy. Yeah. You know, maybe a little wanted to do something different. Um, so where did you get Ipanema to the point where you felt like you could divert your attention? What things happened in that business where you didn't have to be there, where you could focus on building out another restaurant, Garnett? Um, I mean, first of all, I've had some employees for like, I keep employees for like 11 years, 15, wow. 17. One guy, Greg, who actually manages and runs Ipanema, is possibly been there for 17 years. Neither of us is 100% sure what wow. year he started. So. so three years into the business. Yeah. Wow. I mean, so... Um, I have like always had very long-term employees. Um, a lot of people have worked for me. If they've not worked at one restaurant, they've worked at another. Even maybe they've gone somewhere else for a while and come back. That air feels really good. Sorry. Oh, okay. just I just heard that. I didn't know what that sound was. It tapped on. Uh, so basically what you're saying is you, you developed your people. I mean, at first it was very much you bearing a, a grunt of it, uh, you know, taking a lot of the responsibility, the load mm-hmm. on your shoulders. But over time, you molded these people. You built up these people so you could rely on these people that would free you up. So you now had the, the bandwidth for other projects. Yeah, I mean, I would, I would. It probably wasn't that well planned. Okay. <laughs> I mean, it's like sounds nice, but it's the I don't... organic thing though. Like when yeah. people spend time with you when there, when there isn't turnover and they're growing naturally, they're going to be able to take on more responsibility. I definitely had pulled myself order. away from yeah. Ipanema. Um, you know, I was no longer line cooking. I didn't want to bartend anymore. I did that a little bit, but I was always a little testy with the drunk people. So, mm. I mean, to the point where the the employees would be like, "You need to step out from behind the bar." <laughs> when a twenty-two-year-old little drunk girl starts cussing at me, you know, I just don't have the patience for oh, it, man. you know. Um, and that's kind of it's it, it's a college it's a college part of town, so yeah. it's kind of the behavior you're going to get at the bar there sometimes. So, um, I uh, yeah, I'd kind of done everything. I don't know, and and then I really spent some time trying to learn to be administrative because that's the part I never focused on for years, and it's the reason I didn't really know how to make money is because. Um, I never took the time to learn business mm. or learn my own bookkeeping and stuff. And I, like the first three years Ipanema was open, I ran it into $80,000 worth of tax debt and spent like the next six years pulling it out of debt. Um, Ipanema was a little workhorse though. I mean, it's just, and then. How couple, many years did you spend pulling it out of debt? Probably like six, I would guess. What would it was you all have done off. differently to, to avoid that situation, knowing what you know now, knowing what you learned over I time? I couldn't do anything differently because if I'd, if I'd actually paid those taxes on time, my restaurant wouldn't still yeah. be here. You know, I'm kind of happy you're saying that you know? because I'm at that point right now where like there's this weird transition in a small business where yeah. you're making just enough to get by. Yeah. like I'm, That's where I'm at with Restaurant Unstoppable. Like I'm making just enough to pay off my you know, almost $1,000 a month school loans. Mm-hmm. And like, I think I owe like $7,000 in taxes for 2000. I, I don't mind talking about this because they're, they're real yeah, challenges. Yeah. I'm aware of it. Um, but you, I think the, the trick too is to also be aware of it and to not put it off. Um, because a lot of people, that's where they get into troubles. They just keep on saying, well, I'll figure it out. Like it will get better. It will get better. Like there are, programs out there for small businesses to, to pay yeah. monthly. The IRS taxes. will put you on a payment plan. Exactly. And like, don't hide it. Don't put it off because mm-hmm. you, they will work with you. They want yeah. to help small business. So yeah. don't put yourself deeper into that bad situation. Be proactive. They'll, they'll even make recommendations. Score might be able to come in and give you a hand, you know, yeah. small for like small businesses. So sorry. This is no, it's okay. Shine. It's true. I always, my advice is, uh, 
pay the state because they'll come and just take it right out of your checking account. <laughs> yeah, the state right. is vicious. They will come yeah. immediately and wipe out your checking account. This has all happened to me. The city, and my apologies to Mayor LeVar Stoney, but um, <laughs> the city won't figure it out for five years that you owe the money. And then the IRS will put you on a payment plan, whatever yeah. you can afford. So as long as you don't default on your payment plan. And that's how I got out of tax debt. Yeah. I was able to get my way out. And then, yeah, I think I just, um, my interest had changed over years. Whatever, the, whatever combination of things was, when Garnet's opportunity came up, and it was very sudden, and it's a, a friend of mine, Manny Mendez, who owns several restaurants in town, was kind of like, here's the keys. Do you want it or not? Mm. You know? And um, So why did he give you this opportunity? What was it about you that, he think, that you think he saw that made him know you could handle it? Like, was there a relationship there? Or was it just your reputation? That it might know? have been just path of least resistance. But um, <laughs> he, uh, I'd met with him a year before when the tenant of that property that he owns uh, had put their restaurant up for sale. And I went and looked at it, and then I asked him to meet me. And I so he opened his first restaurant, Cuba Cuba, six months before I opened Ipanema. So okay. we're kind of like, uh, you know, neighbors in that yeah. way. Um, in fact, I think like in the early days, we used to send each other joking, threatening notes, and then challenged each other to a laser tag between our two um, staffs. We used That's to do really, cool. really funny stuff, and um, so always a camaraderie between the yeah, two staffs. Yeah, fun too. It's like a little side lesson. Yeah, yeah, like one time, I think they sent us a, a duck breast like nailed to a board with a knife and like sriracha all over it. So it looked like blood and it was just like <laughs> the message said you're going down at laser tag tonight or something like just funny. Like I think we sent them a box of rotting fish heads or something, you know, we just in the mail and then we got in trouble with the post office. So, uh, <laughs> we just, just like this ongoing thing. So we've been friends forever and yeah. he's definitely the guy I could go to and, and say like, what do I do about this? Um, and so, uh, he knew I was interested in the space, but I didn't want to pay for it because, um, as I like to advise people, don't pay for someone else's failure. What do you mean by that? Um, when a restaurant goes out of business and they tell you like, hey, my restaurant's worth $180,000, it failed. How could it be worth that much? Now, granted, now in Richmond, since property is just escalating and you know, Richmond is not going from being a small town to a medium-sized town, now Richmond's on the up and up and people are like, now Richmond's going to be the next Austin or the next Portland. Who knows if it will be, but... Uh, the competitiveness makes things a little bit more valuable, especially mm-hmm. if it's like a good location. Yeah, because there's that that uh, potential for properties. Just what's the word? Uh, appreciating. Yeah. Like like crazy. Like, I mean, it's a it's a huge asset. Yeah. It's a huge. It's a great investment. Um, <clears throat> so. So basically, the first time around, you didn't have the money. Don't pay for someone else's failures. So like, the second time around, what yeah. what changed that situation the second time around? They, so they the guy it. went out of business and okay. just abandoned the place. And so as the landlord, they just needed someone to pay rent. That's okay. all they cared about. Yeah. They could have actually sold it. Um, but at the time, um, the two people that own it are a man named Johnny Javis, who's fascinating. I don't know if you've interviewed him, but he's fascinating. Um, he I just His whole family, they're just like a restaurant empire. Um, and he and Manny own this building together, so... Um, I think Johnny was in the middle of opening, like, say, his 10th restaurant, and Manny was having a baby. Okay. So, like, their lives were just too just, busy. Yeah, they, they might have, have opened with. something there themselves, but I think they're just, like... Because we, you have this reputation, this relationship yeah. with him. That's another freaking... Like, you yeah. mentioned it earlier, like, just having fun, collaborating. Like, this is a guy that opened six months difference from you. Yeah. Um, you could have seen him as a competitor, but instead you, you had fun with this other business. You mm-hmm. created a relationship. And look at that, what that relationship brought you 10 years later, you know? Yeah, we're still friends. Exactly. But, like, when you work and you collaborate and you don't go at each other's throats, but you go, you know, to, like, help each other out and to, to lean on each other, like, it, it comes back around. And you never know when, never know how, but in some form it will. Yeah. I think you will. Hold on one second. <laughs> Water break. 
um, the realization that someone else's success or failure isn't, doesn't affect you. You know, um, that's a, I was so competitive when I first opened Ipanema. I was so threatened by everybody because I was so scared and I didn't understand. And now you just, now you understand like, okay, so Manny, uh, his most recent project with, with Johnny is they opened a restaurant right down the street called Little Nickel, okay. right? Um, so on this stretch of road, they're like the next restaurant down. Um, so I could be like, Little Nickel, what are they going to do to us? But it really is something that I learned with age is that we got busier because of Little Nickel. Mm. Why? How? Because there was more reasons for people to drive to this part of town. They're busy. And oh, they're, I want to try out the Little Nickel. Oh, wait, it's an hour wait for dinner. Let's just go down to Laura Lee's. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, All ships rise with the tide. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So um, that's those things you learn over time. But but it's so emotional when you're starting out. And you're, and you're so raw. And you've, you're so scared. And you risked everything. And it's your name on the line. And so I'm 100% sympathetic to how people feel yeah. when they get in the business. If they don't grow up at some point, I lose my sympathy for them. You know, if they don't evolve or... Give me some specific examples of how you grow up. What do you mean by if they don't grow up? Learn to wish each other well, mm. you know? I mean, I think that's part of being a grown-up, you yeah. know? I mean, act more mature than my four-year-old does. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, like, so... Emotional intelligence yeah, really is what um, comes down I to. think that you really... And I think you do that by reading books or reading articles or striving to figure out... I always call it my... Listening to podcasts. Yeah, listening to po- <laughs> I do listen to a lot of podcasts. Um, I like calling it um, finding my due north or my north star. Like, even if I don't know these people, I'm always looking for people in the press that I'm like, that person really seems like the restaurant owner I want to be. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Or whether they've written a book or wh- however you find exposure to them. Um, you know, decide who... You know, like my husband and I talk a lot about like, who are we and what's important to us? And like, let's stick to the points at hand, you know, like don't get carried away. Don't that's that's why it's so important to like write these things down in a business too. I don't know if you guys have your core values that you write down, but you need to come back to this stuff because you will drift over time. You have to recenter and ask who am I? What really matters? And if you can document these things, you can like set that, that center line, like this is it. And like, you can get back there so much easier. Well, you see restaurants that you can't jump on every trend that comes down the pike. Like, I'm not going to turn Ipanema into a tiki bar because (laughs) everyone's turning everything into a tiki bar right now because that's not our strength. That is not what our strength is. You got to play to your strengths. Yeah. And so um, I see restaurants do this. And another thing they do is um, they often like are like Tuesdays are slow. So I'm going to start a Tuesday promotion. Say it's like a Tuesday date night or half off bottles of wine and they run it for three weeks. Yeah. And then they go, nobody came in. So I'm canceling it. Just like when you first open your restaurant, you like, just it can't takes do time that. To, like, you got to do it word. for like six months to a year, exactly. you know. Yeah. Um, and then you got to because by the time it gets to people and they actually remember, oh, it's Tuesday, we should go do that thing. It takes a while to become yeah. part of people's routine. And then once it's their routine, they're gonna invite friends, and then you yeah, know, they their friends you invite have friends. To build and, something exactly. Awesome stuff. So the second opening with Garnett, were there any? lessons that you learned in the first restaurant that you applied to the second restaurant things you did differently in the second opening because of your experience. Hmm. I think it was a little bit more. Um, I was just starting to understand to be savvy about press. Okay. That was something I didn't even comprehend um, in the beginning. Okay. So talk to me about um, what we can do to be proactive with the press to, to garner that press. Um, I guess becoming aware. So there was like a very brief period of time where food bloggers were kind of running things around Richmond. Okay. And it just kind of spun out. But um, 
for different reasons. I think partially oversaturation with food vloggers. Well, <laughs> partially because I don't know if they wanted to take the heat when they said mm. something negative. Um, there's a little backlash to that sometimes, and also um, good. It takes way, a lot of consistency, note. like good. what you're doing. Consistency. Yeah. You got to get up every day and keep doing it to say that you're doing this. Yeah. So when people say they're a food blogger. And they do it for attention or they think that they're going to get discounts at a restaurant, but then they only post after three months. They just stop posting, yeah. you know. Uh, so what were you doing with those? Were you reaching out to those food bloggers or were you um, reaching out to magazines and saying, hey, like this is what we're doing? Were you trying? Were you drawing Just a in? little bit. Like yeah. I was just dipping my toe in the water. I was also just becoming um, interesting enough to get pressed. Does that make sense? Like I yeah. wasn't really of interest to anybody at that point. But like I said, owning two restaurants made me more interesting. Yeah. Like kind of like, what's your deal? You have two places. Who yeah. are you again? And also uh, the timing. I mean, in a lot of ways, a lot of my success is about the time, the timing involved with when I got involved in the food industry and how the greater national food industry has grown, but also how Richmond has grown. Mm. I just was poised at the perfect time to ride the wave. Dude, it, it reminds me you know? so much of um, Malcolm Gladwell's. I just read the tipping point or is oh, it? Yeah. No, it's, um, well, not the tipping point, uh, outliers mm -hmm. where we, we look at these people that, and we're like, Oh, like how are they so successful? How they, they weigh over here when we're over here. And a lot of the time it's just timing. It's like, it's catching that wave just right. Where mm -hmm. like for you, it was the economy. Like the, there wasn't a lot of competition. Uh, property was being literally being handed to you because like yeah. people couldn't go in. So you had all these opportunities. Uh, what, are, what were some of the other variables that, that, that added to this wave that you rode? rode? I mean, oh gosh, probably so many things. I mean, you know, I never spent more than $40,000 opening a restaurant Jesus. for the first three restaurants. And to be clear, the one I spent $40,000 on, I only spent half of it because okay. I had a partner. So and that was at the Roosevelt. Yeah. I only spent 20. He spent 20. So we, we should probably move, like, I feel like to that You know what I mean? Like, uh, I mean, like my fortunes have, I have been very fortunate. Yeah. I have not, people are spending $600,000 plus on opening restaurants now. That's that crazy. just completely melts my brain. Oh my gosh. To so, kind of take on that kind of debt. Yeah. Uh, let's move to that point because I feel like it was at the, Roosevelt was really kind of what launched you guys and got major mm -hmm. press, right? That was like For the, both of us, for yeah. For both of you. Yeah. So take us through this opportunity. How you, who were you actually at this point with, with after opening Garnet? Because you, you opened uh Garnett in 2009, the Roosevelt wasn't until three years later or two years later, 2011. <clears throat> so what happened in this time for you to go from two restaurants that like, how were you running two restaurants and still had bandwidth to open a third restaurant? Like, well, uh, well, let's see. I was running two restaurants. I'd help from a family member, uh, doing the accounting and paperwork. Um, and the summer before I so got the phone delegating. call. You're delegating, you're, you're taking yeah, things off fact, your plate. So you I was supposed more. to go to Italy for two weeks um, to work on an olive farm. You know that thing they call the wolfing? You know what I'm talking about? It's no. called World Organization of Organic Farms. Oh, that's cool. And you could get a free place to stay and um, taken care of it. You just, I just wanted to have that experience. I was really love Italy and um, was practicing Italian and whatever and was going to take this trip because my, my brother was here and taking care of things and um, just was kind of trying to have a life and like figure out who I was. I think I was going through a weird um, delayed something. I don't know what it was. Um, and so that summer, like, was just like the summer, like so many things went wrong and went right. Like, um, our chef at Ipanema quit two weeks before my vacation. And so I had to cancel it. Oh, man. Um, I'm pretty sure he did it on purpose, but, um, I found out that we had not been paying any of our taxes or our bills. And once again, I was sunk into 
thousands and How thousands of because my brother wasn't paying him. Oh man, he wasn't telling me. And um, how he, are you each brother today? You guys, hopefully, I've seen him you're... once in eight years. Oh, I'm sorry to hear it that. It's okay. I mean, I'm okay with it. <laughs> um, yeah, he just had mismanaged money and didn't tell me, and then then he just left, and I was stuck with thousands of dollars. I mean, like the produce called and said, "Hey, you owe us twenty four thousand dollars." I was like, "What?" Like we hadn't been paying the produce company. We hadn't been paying, you know, and both Ipanema and Garnets were on the verge of um, financial disaster. How'd you pull it out? Um, just time. Yeah. Um, Persistence and Roosevelt. Yeah. And so, um, you know, I just kind of like, I just stopped the flow basically, what do you, mean you know, by like that? hemorrhaging, just hemorrhaging money okay. to stop that, put everything on a payment plan, you know, just kind of like both the restaurants were doing well. Um, so we just had to make sure that we had to pay the bills, you, stopped, you know, you, like you were focused so much on the money coming in, you lost control of the money going out. Yeah, well, I just thought someone else was doing that. Yeah. And I was actually like, just, you know, I was screwing around basically a little bit. Not, I didn't feel like I was at the time. I thought I'm paying someone to do this. So therefore I freeing up my brain to concentrate on doing other things. So what would you have done differently today knowing what you know? What, what does delegating in that job of offloading work for yourself look like done right? Uh, well, I don't ever let anyone have control of the bank accounts ever. Okay. Um, I mean, I just, I control, I do all the accounting and all the paperwork for my restaurants and I was forced to learn how to do it really well. Um, and kind of just get better at that part mm -hmm. because I'd never really been good at it. Um, and I have the same accountant for like also like 17 years and he can vouch for that. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, um, yeah, it was crazy. And I, I took a, a brief trip to New Orleans with a friend just to clear my mind and kind of decompress and um, was completely inspired by New Orleans and how gracious they I'm were. Going and, there next week. Oh my or god! This week actually. Just like it's, wow, it's this week. Jesus. The concept of being of a place. New Orleans is is New Orleans, and the people that are there, like just they're of the place. Yeah. I just can't explain it. Like, and they were it's so a, it's welcoming a and culture, like a mini culture within its own. And it's such a joyous culture. Yeah. Um, you could be like at a bar, like go to Frenchman street and be at a bar and people would walk in the door, wave at their friends playing music and just start dancing as they walked in. Like there was just like, I don't know. And, and just all of our experiences there. A certain type. Of yeah. I, feel um, like. I just, and you know, I just really loved it and I felt really inspired and I thought when I come back to Richmond, I, I hope I can participate in being more positive because I think at the time I felt like sometimes people could be, I would like to say exasperated. Um, there's definitely a period of time, especially in the 90s, um, and I can remember this because I had opened a restaurant and my friends would be like, I'm so sick of Richmond. Richmond's so this or so that in a very negative way. I'm moving to Atlanta. And I'd be like, uh, I find that a little offensive because I just opened a restaurant here and obviously making my livelihood here. Yeah. So it's kind of rude the way you're <laughs> dissing this town. Um, and I always saw people like, I'm going to go to Chicago or I'm going to go. And I stayed through all that period of time now. Richmond's in a boom now, but like I was here during that period of time where like every town seemed cooler than Richmond, you know? And, um, I kind of liked the way that New Orleans like loved themselves. And I was like, Oh, I, I want to participate in that. When I get back, I want to keep that in mind. And then you wanted to transform this community. Um, I don't, I just, sense well, like a sense of pride. I think I want to find other people and jump on their bandwagon more than <laughs> be responsible for the transformation. But, um, I came back and my long-term landlords had said, Hey, we're going to buy this building in Churchill. It's got a restaurant on the first floor. Do you want it? And I go, uh, okay. And I didn't have any money. And so, um, so we went and looked at it and they got, they got it for a steal cause it was in foreclosure. 
And so it was already set up to be a restaurant. There was some equipment there. And that's when I contacted Lee, who had always been my favorite chef. And whenever I did go out to dinner, um, I would often go to his restaurant. And he had two guys that worked for him named Mark and Scott Lewis, who also would be fun people for you to meet. Um, the Lewis, I'm bro- coming, I'm the Lewis brothers are amazing. I'm coming back to Richmond. I have to. There's, like, you were mentioning all these names just uh, through this interview. I'm like, I'm adding them to my, my uh, hit list as you're going. Yeah, the Lewis brothers are amazing and they're really funny. And they were two brothers that were from Danville, Virginia. And for some reason, Danville is this crazy place where everyone you ever meet from Danville, Virginia is just genuinely a really nice person. And um, they worked for Lee, like starting off as dishwashers and worked their way up. So they were like trained by Lee for like, I don't know. I think they worked under him close to 15 years. Okay. Um, and so, uh, you know, I, they had hung out at Ipanema. That was their bar. And so I met them, went to the, they're like, come by the restaurant we work at. And that's how I met Lee. Okay. And I'm, and I'm a hundred percent sure that his initial impression of me was like, who's this drunk lady that keeps coming in the kitchen to talk to us. <laughs> um, so, uh, so that's how I met him. And then he would ask me questions about owning restaurants and how do you get into it? He wanted to do his own restaurant forever and he just couldn't, find the place or get the money or whatever. So I called him and was like, do you want to do this? You know? And it, that was, that like changed both of our lives. That changed the course of our lives. I mean, Just that one phone call from these people saying, do you want this place? And then us both agreeing to do it. You how know? did it change your life? Take us to how, how that one restaurant changed your life. What was it about this restaurant that was so unique that it, it just had such an impact on both of your lives? It was so financially successful, mm. you know? Um, and the critical claim huge too. Um, but like I, for me, I think that might have been a little bit more for him because he's a chef and he got James Beard nominations and stuff like yeah. that. So he really kind of carries the weight of that fame mm. for both of us. Um, I don't, my was more like financial stability, you know, which I yeah. desperately wanted at the time. And also um, validation that maybe I was good at this. Mm. So what? So three restaurants in, I'm like, maybe I can do what this. What did you do differently <laughs> with the Roosevelt? What were the key elements that Roosevelt possessed that you think made it launch in the way that it did? I've got some ideas, but I want to hear from you. Um, well, influenced by New Orleans, I wanted to be of a place. Mm-hmm. And um, so of Churchill, of Virginia, of Richmond, you know, um, we did a lot of research on historical stuff. I was reading that book um, by Mark Kurlansky called Food of a Younger Land. Okay. And it's the History of America Eats program. It's a WPA program. Um, and it's the idea of um, what America ate like before there was national highway systems and fast food. Mm. So it would have been basically the last time people ate locally. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that was of interest to me. Um, I had just gotten into learning about Virginia wine and decided if we were going to be of a place. Now, this is the era where Husk was every on people's minds you know like so it was kind of it was You're talking about husk restaurant yeah it was in, the uh, was it in south carolina Char- in charleston, charleston. they were doing like an all all south carolina menu or whatever um so definitely it was the tone of the time it's like embracing local to such a degree um and I, so we did like you know eastern seaboard fish all virginia wine um and and i mean from the first moment we talked about it i told lee i was like I've been interested in the Southern Foodways Alliance and kind of like, I like those, I liked all the oral history projects and just cause I have an interest in hi- the history of dining and, um, that kind of influences me. Yeah. And, uh, so you wanted to be of yeah. a place. I think we, yeah. we got a good idea. What was the other thing? Give me another thing that you did. You're of a place. There's one that I'm going to, if you don't hit it, I'm going to hit it, but I want to okay. make sure I want to see, see if you get um, it first. 
I think there was something to be said about the fact that, and I was kind of the outsider in this situation, but Lee came with the Lewis brothers and with Thomas Leggett, who is now a very well-regarded cocktail, craft cocktail guy. Um, he actually opened his own bar, which has been very successful. Um, but at the time, brought him in, and um, there was a camaraderie to the place. There was like a, uh, there was a camaraderie to everyone. Um, what was I, that? I can't explain. Like, why do you think there was that camaraderie? What, what do you, well, what those do you guys mean have by all camaraderie? Friends like, for years. Let's all be on the same page. Well, what is camaraderie to you? Um, there was just a, a cohesion of personalities with everyone that worked there. Mm. They genuinely liked each other. They made each other laugh. I constantly have, I mean, to experience it is one of the most wonderful things in the world. To experiencing hanging out in the kitchen while Lee and the Lewis brothers are on the line cooking and what they talk to you about is the best TV show you could ever watch. They're just, they're engaging, they're yeah. funny. Um, they play music to antagonize each other, whatever it is. They're just really fun people. Um, to the point where we have to chase the servers out of the kitchen be like, don't hang out in the kitchen, go back out front yeah. because they're having too much fun. Yeah. It's just it's like problem a, just a really upbeat atmosphere. Um, and uh, I don't know. I can't explain it. It was just like very, everyone was happy to be there and it just was, everything was just all the, all the ducks lined up, you yeah. know, like. Is there anything else you want to drop on us before I come back at you with some thoughts? I don't think so. So I, I 100% agree with you, uh, what you shared with us. You're of a place, right? You, yeah. You, you, when, I, when I think of that, I think of uh, somebody I had on the show. Her name's escaping me, Portland, Maine. Um, and you saw like, the, the, you know, you saw what was going on in Louisiana and you saw what was happening in Richmond. And most people would say, somebody needs to do something about this. Mm -hmm. But what amazing people do is say, I'm going to do something about this. I'm going to make a change. And you took that and you, cho you chose to, to be that person that, that made Richmond of a place or made the Roosevelt of a place. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, which is huge. You, you took that like initiative. I love when you're talking about camaraderie. Uh, when I think of that, I think it's, you know, you said it's people that are kind of like, 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 like minded who are all there, all tr kind of striving for the same thing. And I think that's what happens over time. When you persist, you, you attract onto yourself people are, who are like-minded, who have yeah. the same values, who have the same ambitions. And now you're surrounding yourself with this team, right? Yeah. And you're all pulling in the same direction. You, you established this, this, this mission to become of a place. Now everyone has got the same mission. They want to do the same exact thing. You're all pulling in the same direction. And the last thing, uh, you now had your lane. Right mm -hmm. now, yeah. you're not focusing on the entire restaurant. You're focusing on just the front of house mm -hmm. and the books, the numbers, and you're freeing up Lee. So all he has to do is focus on what his lane is, which is the food. So he can yeah. just go deep on that. Yeah, so now really you guys nice. have you now you have so much more impact, so much yeah. more momentum because you surrounded yourself with all these incredible people that are pulling in the same direction, and they all have their own lanes. You can yeah. just go so much further like that. Yeah. Um, and the last thing I wanted to say is you created opportunity. Uh, you looked at where he was, you had an opportunity for him and you looked out for his best interests. Mm -hmm. And when you look out for other people's best interests and you give them opportunities, they're going to go so far for you. Yeah. So those are the things I think that contributed to this. Just hearing your story. Do you think I swung and a miss or is that? Yeah, no, I probably wouldn't put it that way. I wouldn't give myself so much credit, <laughs> credit but yeah. I did swing and miss, you said. No, no, no. Oh. I'm just saying I wouldn't, I wouldn't be inclined to give myself that much credit. Because I just got super jacked up. Uh, yeah. I don't know if you feel my energy right yeah, now. Yeah, yeah. No, I, uh, it's true. It's it's just so funny to think about um, what we knew then and what we know now, you know, is um, mm. we had, I mean, we used to, you have to, you have to meet Lee, he's such a character, but um, we just used to have these conversations where he just gets this, he's really Southern and he has this, gets these big eyes and he'd be like, I mean, 
what is going on? And I'd be like, <laughs> I don't know. Like we'd be talking about how busy the restaurant was and it just didn't stop. Yeah. It just never slowed down. That's awesome. And, what and a he used story. to be like, I mean, it's been a year and we're still busy. And I was like, can, I can know. Can it stop? Can we just take a break? <laughs> it, we would just marvel at it. Yeah. Like we weren't, we weren't like, yeah, that's right. Like we were. Grateful. Yeah, very much. I, yeah. I feel like that's absolutely true. So um, that's you, been our personalities, you know. You were at the Roosevelt, um, or the before opening. You had these three restaurants before opening the fourth operation, which was a partnership with the bakery. I mean, we're kind of coming to the end of our time, so I kind of wanted to summarize. I take it from here. Any big lessons? Anything that's happened from you and it, but with you since the Roosevelt and opening these three additional locations? Any new aha moments? Any way that you do things differently now that you have five locations? Does your role has that changed? Like, what are some of the big lessons you can give us on business? Just free flow for. A I second. think that. Um like for me, where I am in my life, I have to really think about, I have done business businesses for ego. I've done things because I felt like I had to, and I didn't want to, I didn't want to do the bakery. I was tired. Yeah. Why'd you do it? And then it fizzled for me. Um, because I had promised David I would. Mm -hmm. And, um, I was, he was, he was really anxious to do his own thing and I was just exhausted. I would just, I'd just gotten off a plane from getting married and had just finished renovating Ipanema for the first time in I don't know, it was like maybe 14 years or something. You know, we just done a huge bar renovation. Yeah. And, and that was coming right off the tail end of the first year of the Roosevelt, which was busy nonstop. And I was tired. And I and I think that somewhere deep inside, I resented I resented it, you know. But I did it. Um, but I think that that's probably why we're still not business partners now. You know, and I don't think it's any, there's no love lost in the sense like, um, there's no antagonization between us. Yeah. I still go into WPA all the time. I'm part of their best customer, but... I think it was the realization, like, I didn't want to, I was tired. I didn't yeah. want to do it. You know, I didn't want to have so many places. That being said, then I did Laura Lee's and then I did, yeah. you know, but, um, so what was different about Laura Lee's that made you, made you want to do this versus why you didn't necessarily want to do WPA? It was WPA. Maybe yeah. Right? Okay. Um, well, Laura Lee's was, um, I don't want to get too far into it, but definitely, um, I, I jokingly call it uh, my feminist manifesto. Like, okay. I think there's a lot of things that have happened over the years being a female. And I think that um, maybe I was just inspired with the spirit of just like, just wanting to do someplace that was more feminine. Mm. Um, is that like a, is that kind of the backbone of Laura Lee's? Uh, is it, is it a mostly women that work here or all women that work here or? No, not necessarily. Uh, we started off with a female bar manager, um, and uh, it, we were we based it loosely on the firm bar era, which historically, if you read about it, like no one's no one's loving a firm bar. Not like they love prohibition era bars or tiki <laughs> bars. Nobody's loving a firm bar. And it's not really the point. Firm bars were really neighborhood places. And in the truest sense of the, that, we are very much a neighborhood place here. Yeah. Um, we have tons of regulars, you know, and that's the that's the person I am. I'm, I'm much more a blue collar aesthetic than I am. A, than I'm like, I'm never, never been a fine dining person. And so I don't have any background like that. Um, I'm, I definitely want to see that peer person that comes in every Tuesday, Thursday, and Sunday. I don't want to own that place that people only come out on birthdays and anniversaries and Fridays and Saturdays. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. um, so Laura Lee's has been wonderful. And I think it was just a matter of like, I don't, I can't explain. It. It's just like the intent intention is okay. There you go. Intention is very important. Okay. And I think that 
what was the intent with Laura Lee's to, to kind of to, to be a backbone for this feminist side of you to to, to kind of rally for I th- the idea? I think of- I wanted to, I wanted to build that place. You know, like I know that sounds crazy, but there's things that I have in mind when I'm building a place like this place. I'm like, I want this to be like you know like it's- that. That sex in the city place where the four female friends go out and have wine and talk about their stuff. I want that to be this place. I also want it to be a place where people can bring their kids because I'm a parent now. I but, also want it to be the place where um, you go on a bike ride with your friend, you pop into the bar and have a burger and a beer. And it is all, it's turned out to be all those places, you know, like a neighbor place that suits a lot of different dynamics. Yeah. But I, it is on any given night, 80% female in I here. I just picked up a correlation and a trend that I'm, I've been noticing with you that I picked up reading some articles for uh-huh. researching this. People say that you, you have this way of just giving the people exactly what they want, of creating, like you're, you're a server, you're a great server, your, your service is great, but when you're creating a vision and you're creating a restaurant, like you you create fun places that seem to be like exactly what people want. Like it's like you're providing something that is yeah. missing that they need almost. Yeah. Um, but it's bringing it back to intention. Like when you think of a concept, you're not thinking of like, Oh, like what do I want? Like you're thinking about like, what kind of kind of impact can I make on this community? Like what, where can I create something to bring people together? Like with uh, the Roosevelt, it was to, to have a, to be of a place, right? You want yeah. to like have an identity back in, uh, uh, Richmond again. Like you want people to be proud of Richmond. And with this place, you wanted people for, for women to come and to, to, to gather. Like you're always doing it for for somebody else. Yeah. Right. It's is that is that safe to say? Am yeah, I, I think you have. It's like having your muse in mind. I guess yeah. you know. I mean, I I know that it's very others focused. It's not me focused on what I want, but like you you always almost are doing it for like what you think the community needs, like yeah. what they need, and like how can I yeah. be there to, for them? Yeah, I think uh, I would say that. I've never developed a restaurant without knowing the location before I came up with the idea. Yeah. Like I don't have an idea and then try to stick it in somewhere. Okay. Um, so yeah, it is, it's always very focused on the place and the people. And I just really like having a home team. I like, I like neighborhood places. It's just who I am. Yeah. You know, I'm never going to own that restaurant. That's kind of a Michelin star. I, I wouldn't even know how, like I just, well, you good know, for you for knowing what you want and not feeling like that's what you have to go to because that's what society has labeled as successful. Like doing what you want is so, so much better. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, when you, you've just said it, it's like, what, what is success? Yeah. You have to define that first before you can talk about mm-hmm. who's most successful. What is success for me? Yeah. Oh gosh. Probably balance, which is, Someone told me recently, just accept the fact there is no work-life balance. And I was like, I won't accept that. Um, I kind of come from that school of thought too, though, because I think that like that's a like a this thing that we've created, society has created this idea of work-life balance. But I don't think you need work-life balance if you live intentionally, if you do everything with intention, because this like what did we do before there were quote unquote jobs jobs are a new thing jobs have only been around for like 200 years Bef- yeah. before jobs people just existed for their purpose and they do what they do they, it's their life's work and yeah. when you do your life's work and you find your life's work you're not waking up to go to your job you're waking up to go to life every day yeah so yeah there is no that's work totally how balance. i feel yeah yeah beautiful i like it yeah I, I mean we just went on vacation i had to cut it short because of work but I, and people were like i'm so sorry and i was like i mean my life's pretty good so I'm not going back to some punishing I'm place. I'm living out of my car right now. I've never been happier because I get to wake up every day and I have I something think to do. that's amazing. Something to do. Something oh to do. Gosh. And I love it. Uh, but, you know, like, it's just like I wake up every day and I'm like, I'm living my purpose. Yeah. You know? And like whatever, when you find that lane, when you find that, you can endure anything. You can persist because it's what you were meant to do. Yeah. I love it. 
Any, what do you do if you have a bad day? How do you pull yourself out of it? Just, oh man, I think it's just optimism. Like you, yeah. you, 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 when you have a purpose, you can remove yourself from the here and now and then kind of like get out, outside of yourself and like yeah. look to where you're going and why you're doing it. And like that, that gets you right back on track. Like yeah. it's just, it's all mental. It's all mental. What's the word? Uh, it's just all, I guess, what's the word? Uh, I'm at a loss of words right now. You flipped this on me. What did you, how dare you? Uh, <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, um, mindset. That's the word yeah. I was looking for. Yeah. Awesome. Anything else you want to add before we go to the speed round? Cause I'm loving this conversation. Well, by the thanks. Way. Um, no, I can't think of anything. Okay. I'm sure I'll think of something like tomorrow. <laughs> I'm like, I should have said this. <laughs> well, Hey, you can always call. I'll hit the record. I'll call button, it in. <laughs> right? uh, all right. We're going to take a quick break to thank our sponsors. We'll be right back. All right. I have a question for you. How can an anonymous employee reporting program be a profit center for your restaurant? Hmm. Well, for starters, fraud alone represents a staggering loss to the restaurant industry with an estimated $40 billion in losses in the U.S. in 2017 alone. And this does not include the losses and costs associated with the more than 540,000 calls made to the U.S. EEOC in 2017, resulting in millions of dollars in penalties and legal costs for restaurant owners and investigators related to claims of harassment and discrimination. So do I have your attention? Good, because there's more. Employee tip-offs about misconduct continue to be the most common method for detection and prevention, but employees are often deterred from reporting their concerns directly to supervisors because they're afraid that there's going to be retaliation or they might lose their job or something, and I get it. But with Ethics Suites Anonymous and web-based restaurantethics.com, you can provide a safe, secure, simple, and anonymous communication channel between you and your employees to help protect your hard-earned reputation and assets. Go to ethicssuites.com restaurants unstoppable and you will get three additional months so for the cost of 12 months you'll get 15 months or head over to the show notes and find the banner and you can use the link there we're back and the first question i have for you is what is your it factor a habit a trait a characteristic you believe most contributes to your success Mm, tenacity tenacity i dig it uh what is your biggest weakness Oh, pity party. Pity party. <laughs> I get in a little what pity party sometimes. That? I just get down and get all like, uh, I don't know. And my husband helps get me out of it. I'm okay. really lucky to have him. But uh, yeah, I just, I can be very mopey every <laughs> once in a while. I just get run down. So and it's get good tired. to surround yourself with the people that can pull you out of that is what I'm hearing. Yeah. I mean, it's so funny because most times I'm up and then yeah. every once well, in a while I just kind of crash. Yeah. I think it's a very common thing with uh, entrepreneurs that like emotional roller coaster of like, I'm on top of the world. Like I'm a piece of shit. I'm what I'm like, what's happening? Like, this is like, I'm a failure. I'm on top of the world again. And it's like up and down, up and down. It's exasperated by a, or exaggerated by a social media also, which is like, like for instance, um, you know, the trick with the, with a new business is you open a new business, you get all this press. The, The trick is what do you do the day that the press is all about the next new shiny? Yeah. What do you do when they stop talking about you? Cause you're like, wait a second. What? You get used to it. The attention, it's the same with social media. You get like all these little hearts or whatever on Instagram or something or these likes. And then what happens that day you post something and nobody likes it? How do you, how does that affect your self-worth? You know, like, I mean, when you get, you know, the way that people get drawn into stuff, um, I think you actually have to actively, like, I'll just take myself off social media for a month yeah, or something. You just have to, you gotta, it's not about that. At the end of the day, those are things that will influence your business and how well it does the the chatter online, but that can't be the driving force. There's just no room or time for that kind of vanity. Honestly. 
good stuff. Uh, what's one question you ask or thing you look for when you're building your team? A question you ask, a quality you look for during like, the interview now, process. Now? Yeah. Um, I didn't always do this, and I do now. If they, if they shit talk their former job, mm. I'm not going to get my job. I love it. Why? Because... I just, I don't know. It just, it's a, it's yeah. a bit of negativity. I don't know. Like, um, and I'm not always the world's best grown up. Like sometimes I can bitch a little, but there's people that work for me that never say a foul word about anyone, mm. you I know? And I just, I'm so impressed what, like, by them. If they're people so have that kind of energy. Like if they're not willing to, to talk bad about anyone in that situation, when you give them an open door to do it, mm-hmm. then they're not going to do it in your business. And they're not yep. going to, you know, it's a great quality to look for because you don't, one of the most exhausting things as a boss is coming to the monthly managers meetings and having them complain so much about somebody else, you know? And so I really try to like cultivate people that don't do a lot of that. I love it. Good stuff. Uh, what is your biggest challenge today? Actually today? Yeah. Well, like currently, (laughs) what's your current challenge? My current challenge today is that I'm going to go cook in a kitchen that I own for the first time in 13 years. (laughs) That's my challenge today. How are you dealing with it? Uh, I'm nervous. I'm nervous. I'm nervous uh, that I'm going to just, I don't know. (laughs) I wear reading glasses now because I'm 48. So I was like figuring out how I'm going to put my glasses on to read the tickets on the line and then pop them back on my head and get them out of the way and not get grease all over them. I'm convinced there's something in the water here in Richmond because Mm -hmm. I've I've spoken to a bunch of restaurateurs. Uh, I can't remember. I've, I've complimented at least three or four people now on how good they look for 40 or 40 oh, yeah. or whatever. Like you guys <laughs> do, you hold up well in yeah, Richmond because yeah. I would never guess that you were 48 years old. Yeah. I would have. Me neither. Like there's at I least 10 years that it. the water takes off in this, in this town. <laughs> I thought that Jay. Um, it's because we don't see the sun. Is that I what it is? We sleep all day. <laughs> Vampires. Uh, great. Um, what was it? Jay, Jay Bear. I thought he was like 30 my age. He's 40. Oh, for real? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Right? Yeah, I would have guessed too. <laughs> Jesus. It's... I thought he was like this young, like, wow, he started open restaurants when he was 24. And, you know what I mean? <laughs> That's what I thought. Yeah. People just age well. He has no gray hairs in his beard at all. And I'm 32 and I'm starting to get gray yeah. in my beard. And it's so frustrating. <laughs> anyway, um, share one code of conduct or behavior you teach your team. Be nice. Mm. It's really the most important thing. If they can't be nice, I love it. we can't teach them anything. What is one uncommon standard of service you teach your staff? So this is something that's common within your four walls of the five restaurants you own, but not common within the standard, the, the industry. Oh, I don't know. I have. It's little... hard because it's common for you. So you. Like, I mean, you know? I don't know that this isn't. I mean, one of the things I always i I cultivate servers that are um, seen and not heard. Um, so I always because I was a server, I teach them the water trick, which is just. Just go to the table and fill the water. Don't ask them if they don't interrupt their conversation. They ask them if everything's you know. okay. Be present. Be at the table. You yeah. don't have to interrupt them every single time. And anticipate needs. Don't wait for them yeah. to ask for it. Like you know, go fill the, the water, bring it in, do it before they ask. And like that's a oh man. Not everyone likes that style of service though. Some people people bring their own situation. At the same time, you get to match them where they're at. If they want to yeah. start talking to you, if they're very yeah. chatty, then that's what you yeah. match them right there. But I think, I think I've just, I'm really a fan of like, you know, be available, but don't, I got d- you. don't be, it's don't not, like it's this. not your stage. You know? So, uh, I interviewed somebody, uh, Michael, uh, Bichetta yesterday. Okay. And he gave a really cool tip on how to approach a table without interjecting. But if you want to like check on them, mm-hmm. just walk by and say the waters are already full. You just put your hand on the table. Mm-hmm. And it will—it's like a social like thing that you don't even know what's happening. Oh, right. Okay. But like if they're talking, but you don't want to be like, 
I need to like be here now because I'm busy and like I might not be able to come back. Just put your hand on the table. And it's a very subtle way. They'll stop and you just be like, you guys, we're good here, you know. Mm-hmm. And then like you just keep on going. Uh, maybe you don't like that. I have to think about that. Okay. I could see that. I could see me taking that as a very alpha male move <laughs> oh. if I was the customer, depending mm-hmm. on how it's presented. Yeah. Depending if it's like a lean in, like but, a strong arm lean in, like. Yeah, but you've been there you before, know? where you're like you're like <clears throat> they're talking and you don't want to interrupt. Yeah. But if you're just like you just like gently just touch the table. Yeah. It's very subtle. It's polite. Yeah. And like they'll stop and be like, "Are you ready for your check?" Or like whatever. Yeah. You know, like I don't know. You have to see uh, it. I have to see it. Okay. <laughs> I didn't see the body language involved. Uh, share um, one book that will make us a better person or restaurant operator. Mm. And we were, we were already talking about books during oh, the Oh, yeah. Well, I've been perusing Tim Ferriss's Tribe of Mentors. Mm. Um, and uh, I got to check that out. See, people compare me to people like Tim Ferriss. Like, oh, you should write a book on doing this. I'm like, Tim Ferriss has a team of people. Yeah. All right. He's been doing this for a long time. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um. I, I like that he interviews people and lets them tell their story. It's not like he's necessarily saying like he has all the answers. Um, I think his curiosity is is appealing as a podcaster. Yeah. Um, so that being said, a lot of his interviews are with the tech industry and a lot of them are not necessarily with anyone in the restaurant yeah. business, I don't think. Has there ever been a restaurant person he's interviewed? I don't know. I don't follow him that well. I, I've, I've read a couple of his books, but I don't really listen to his podcast so much. Well, So one guy interviewed with some like general, general, I don't know, whatever his name was. Uh, and he was like, Make your bed every morning. Oh, I think I heard that speech. Because that way you've already accomplished one thing. Yeah. Honestly, I make my bed now. And <laughs> I'm 48, so I never used to make my bed. And I was like, oh, I like that. It, it really does feel good. Yeah, like, it's, it's like It really is like I've already accomplished one thing. Let's keep going. I love you know? it. That's beautiful. Um, <laughs> share an online resource or tool. I think we already just shared one with Tim Ferriss. You love Tim, Tim Ferriss's podcast. Yeah. Um, I like uh, our local Reddit, r backslash RVA. Um, I, I don't participate. I'm just a stalker. Um, I like to read the local Reddit and I like to read what they say about restaurants. Yeah. Um, cause there is a different, um, I see it as like, this is what, the, th- this is what the proletariat says yeah. about restaurants. This yeah. isn't what the reviewers say or what the weird yelpers. Cause that's only a certain breed of people do that. Um, it's what regular, every people say to their friends about where they should go mm-hmm. and why. And one of the things they did was, uh, what's what you think is the best restaurant in Richmond? They took a poll, and it was Joe's Inn, which is this restaurant that's been here for 80 years. It's like like a family-style restaurant yeah. with like big plates of spaghetti and stuff, and it's awesome. And they have this <laughs> Greek salad that's like, you're like, where do you get this dressing? And honestly, everything could be from Cisco for all I know. <laughs> I don't care. You know what yeah. I mean? It's just been there. It's all dark wood. It's like just been in the heart of the fan forever. And there's something really lovely about it. And I was like, you know what? They're not wrong. Yeah. They're like, who do we think the best restaurant is? They think it's Joe's Inn. Yeah. And I was like, sweet. How are they not right? (laughs) You know what I mean? If that's what they decide. Great. Uh, What's one piece of technology you've adopted in your restaurant and how has it influenced operations? This is something like POS reservations, any type of tool that you're being more efficient with or to improve communication, things of that nature. Yelp reservations, we started doing at the Roosevelt because we used to get 56 phone calls a day. It would take hours to return all those phone calls. And, and just the flaw of using Does paper and pencil systems. Own open table now, or is there a connection there? No, I don't know. Okay, I don't know. Um, but um, we've really enjoyed that. And then recently, we tried Orderly, the Orderly app. Yeah, um, that was okay. It was a little helpful, um, and it just stopped being helpful after a little while. Why? Because um, at first they run all your food costs and then tell you like what you've been paying too much for, or like compared to other people in your area. 
Um, and they, but their inventory wasn't that easy to use. Um, it's just like an iPad app or okay. a phone app. And, um, but like, they were like pointing out to us like, Hey, did you know that you're like in one week, they'd be like, did you notice that your crab meat went up 30%? So it was like, like, you can't catch all that. You can't monitor all that. Man, it's really, I mean, it's yeah. just time consuming. Yeah. So if you have like, it does that thing where it, you just take a screenshot and it scans it on to the program. Yeah. Um, so that was good, but it's a little expensive and we weren't really using it that well. Do you think you got your return um, on investment from what you're saving with ordering and the time that you're you were saving from not having to go through and track all this stuff? Well, we just weren't tracking it. That was the difference. Oh. So, <laughs> um, but yes, I think that every time we try some type of new technology, it helps us understand what we do want versus what can be done, yeah. and um, kind of helps us more develop a system. I don't really have very strong systems in place because I'm self-taught. Um, yeah. So, but with five or five locations like systems like because you can't be present in every one of your restaurants so you have to start developing these things you have yeah. to start leveraging technology so you can create consistencies when you're not there right and this is something that my husband's really good at actually he's like an it guy like we just changed both two pos systems at two different restaurants in a matter of days and so, he was able to run the ethernet and do all that stuff so. i'm really curious because uh, i love breadcrumb they're mm-hmm. one of my um affiliates uh, i have a few pos affiliates out there uh, why breadcrumb? I'm curious. What was it about breadcrumb that you, I mean, what were the competitors? Like what were some of the other ones that you were really- Well, we have Micros because okay. we bought it like eight years ago yep. and it was cost so much money at the time. But the thing about Micros, it's like, well, there's a little bit to be said about, we often suspect the difference between PC and Apple-based products kind of, um, but Micros was developed during a period of time where it was developed, um, it's just outdated. Like, all these iPad-based systems like breadcrumb and stuff, they're more intuitive, just like iPads and iPhones are more intuitive to use. Um, the staff just takes to them quicker. Yeah. And, and Micros also, um, they were, they didn't have a good... I mean, they were so expensive to get anything fixed. Like yeah. they were like, Plus, with PCI compliance today, too. Like oh, you, that's what knocked us out. Yeah, yeah that's the other thing. Like you, You're going to spend how much with five locations? Thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars, probably, potentially to stay PCI compliant with having all these inspectors and like yeah. people come in, um, you might as well just upgrade your system. Well, yeah. And micro micros just wasn't, I mean, they just weren't user friendly. Like for instance, if you get, um, if something goes wrong at your restaurant and you need their help to send a technician out, they can send that technician out from nine to five. If it come after five, they charge you like $300 an hour. Oh, so what's, what's the deal with breadcrumb? If, if you need service, you can call them anytime and they answer the phone and they help you. Nice. And they're, they're super, so um, breadcrumb was owned by Groupon. Okay. Groupon yeah. Kind of struggled, and they they gave up that that appendage okay, yeah. of the the breadcrumb POS, but they were uh, absorbed by Upserve, which is mm-hmm. a data mining software, which is in my opinion the leading data mining software in the industry, and their customer service is incredible. Upserve, yeah. so they they took over the customer service aspect for breadcrumb mm-hmm. where there there's been kind of bad reports of breadcrumb because of the customer service, but they are no longer with Groupon, so mm-hmm. I don't think many people know that. Yeah. So we've been using it since we opened WPA. Okay. We use probably like the first tier, like uh, beta product or whatever that yeah. Breadcrumb put out. It was very primitive. It's um, 2012. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, but anyway, so they've been great. And Upserve is like amazing. You can log on. They'll tell you who your top 100 customers yep. are or like who, like menu items, like what's or the most popular menu item. Server I mean, performance, which is huge. Oh, just everything. It's yeah. kind of crazy. Like how, what's I, the we best don't even feature? use all the information. What feature do you like the most that you found most helpful? I like the one about the menu items. Like mm. these are the ones that create the most repeat customers. Um, they kind of do this weird value system. Like this is the top seller, but 
not many people come back and eat it again or I can't even I can't even remember it's like this quadrant that they create they call it the magic quadrant or okay. something like yeah. that but that was kind of useful to see what was selling and what wasn't selling because one of the things like we've been working on is just like I keep on getting so sidetracked by the way yeah I know, I know you too. Going, but I'm we, loving my I'm just working on healthier options yeah, yeah. And so one of the things that I've been able to see through Upserve is that, that actually those healthier items are actually selling. Okay, cool. Interesting. So Cool. Um, all right. The last question. Mm-hmm. Are you ready for it? Yes. If you got the news, you'd be leaving this world. All the memories of you, your work, and your restaurants would be lost with your departure. With the exception of three pieces of wisdom. Three things you know to be true about just success and happiness in life that you could leave behind for your legacy. What would, that, what would those three things be? Hmm. It's a deep one. Yeah. If there's one question that people should read the interview flow before the interview to be prepared for, it's that one. Because you got to put. Did some you send me a list of questions? I may or not have. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, I think I, I might have because we were, were were we texting. No, we were emailing. Yeah. I did send you the list. I'm sorry. It's all right. You're I busy. Five um, restaurants. Yeah. <laughs> um, I. One of the things I like to say, and this is to overcome self doubt or self criticism is that he who is happiest wins Mm. that being said happiness is not always what you think it is um i think that uh yeah there was a anyway i don't want to keep going off subject uh there's a book that came out called the pursuit of happiness that was about the difference between happiness and pleasure and really understanding that in your life and and finding that balance book recommendations especially because i'm traveling all over the place right now i just have like a yeah. My car is like a, just like a university of like great <laughs> books. I love it. Um, okay. What's the, that was number one. What's number two? Oh, I thought that was one and two. Okay. Oh, one and two. So one is, uh, happy. He, he is who, he, who is happy. He wait. who is happiest wins. Like when you feel competitive, <laughs> okay. you know, that, that That's helps cure your competitive spirit. And the is, second one was, is that this happiness is not always exactly what you think it is. Okay. You know? What's number three? Um, cultivate, cultivate a support network, cultivate good friends. I love it. Great stuff. This has been an incredible conversation. I really enjoyed it. So we wrap up every conversation by calling somebody out. Who's one independent restaurant operator? Somebody you admire, Kendra, and believe would make a great yes mentor on the show. Mm, I know a lot. Um, my, my favorite is Mark Herndon. Mark Herndon. Uh, he's local, though. Do you want people from another city? Uh, I'm <laughs> headed towards Louisiana. You were there. So Who? Louisiana. Which place? Austin, you know Austin. I'm going to Austin. Seattle, going to Seattle. Mm-mm, I don't know anyone. There. Oregon. I don't. Okay. <laughs> well, no, I do know a guy. Where is he? Is he in Portland? Oh, great guy, Chris Elford. He has a place called Anchor Bar. He was just recommended by Jay Bear. Jay Bear. Yeah. yeah. Oh, he's great. <laughs> nice. Yeah. All right, Chris. Look but out, I think man. he. I don't think is he in Seattle or Portland. I think he's Seattle. I get him confused. Is that yeah. terrible? No, I'm sure know. those cities present that. <laughs> yeah, um, he's he's awesome, and awesome. he's he's just a fun guy too. Chris, I'm coming after yeah. you. Look out and let the folks at home know how can we connect with you if you want to follow your restaurants, follow your work, maybe come join your team, come get mentored by you. What's the best way to connect? Uh, well, social handles. Just, yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're all at, you got five at Roosevelt, <laughs> at Roosevelt RVA, at Laura Lee's RVA, at Garnet's RVA, um, at Ipanema Veg. Those are, um, that was before the RVA trend. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Great. I'll have those in the show notes again. Kendra Feather, thank you so much for thank taking you. the time to share your story, your advice, your mentorship. There is no questioning. You are unstoppable. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers. 
Man, I loved this conversation. Where to start summarizing this one? You know, just start, I think, is one thing we can say. Uh, Kendra started, and she didn't know a lot when she got started, but she kept showing up every day. She kept learning, and she hit some tough patches, uh, but they made her stronger. She kept persisting. She kept showing up. She kept learning, and today she is, uh, I think, what was it, five, four restaurants, uh, just crushing it. And the other great stuff from today's conversation is this idea of like just collaboration, um, not seeing your neighbors as competitors unless it's friendly competition, but reaching out to them, asking them questions, creating your board of advisors, collaborating with these people and pulling them together, creating community of restaurant tours. And like we talked about in today's conversation, a lot of people look to Kendra and some of her colleagues, her restaurant tour colleagues and they say, wow, this is a click, and you know, what are we going to do to be a part of this click? Well, reach out. Introduce yourself. Like, Don't think of it as competition. And when you do reach out to other people and you do make it about everyone but yourself, all that starts to come back around. All of a sudden, you start seeing these people coming to you with opportunities because you, you came to them when they needed help. It all just rolls back in really great stuff in today's conversation. Like always, please do reach out to me, Eric, at restaurantunstoppable.com, Instagram, Twitter, Eric Catchatori. Tell me who you want to hear from. Tell me how I can best serve you. I'm listening. Keep those five-star reviews on iTunes and Stitcher Radio coming. I'm on Spotify now, so get on Spotify. Start start downloading if that's your preferred platform. And I need help. So if, if you like what I'm doing here, if you want to contribute to this melting pot of mentors, this, this idea of collaborating, sharing knowledge, and growing together as an industry, let me know how you can contribute. I'm open to suggestions. And the best way to support this podcast, guys, uh, this this mission of inspiring, empowering, and transforming our industry is simply by sharing it. You are the average of the five people you spend most of your time with. And with this podcast, you can surround yourself with the best. And if you believe in the same values we have here, uh, you should share this because you are supporting those around you and we are transforming our industry. All right, guys, that's all for today. Thanks for sticking around this long. I love you all. And until next time, peace out.